Welcome to the Quick Sub F1 podcast. My name is Nyasha, and you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. Well, you're here with me. I appreciate that, huh? Let me give my no, I never get to give myself a round of applause. Hooray for me! Finally! Off the back of a triple header, which saw us have two live shows in two different continents. Are you mad? Don't piss me off. Sick and tired of being humble. But being this lit comes at a price, clearly. Um, sorry we wasn't with you last week, but we're here now. Okay, I say we're here now. I'm here now. I've got some questions for you guys, and we're going to go through them. But look, it's not about me. It's not about you. Actually, no, it actually is about you. It's about you. If you're watching this video, like and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on Spotify, five-star review. Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a review and a rating. And of course, there's an ad-free stream on Patreon. Oh, gosh! Vegas is upon us. It's a bit weird because by the time you get this, it will be Wednesday. Practice is on Thursday. Qualifying on Friday. The race is on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. So... Bloody Nora, Jesus H. Christ. I mean, it's a bit of a madness, isn't it, this race? I don't know what to expect. I don't think anyone knows what to expect. We're really, it is a bit of schadenfreude, isn't it? Like, we don't really know what we're going to expect. We're kind of watching... Thank you for doing that so loud. We're watching purely, purely to see if anything goes wrong. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about the race so far, um, temperatures. And I think that will go into our first question from someone who asked, pardon me, I'm just setting this question up now. Thank you, Chris, for putting it in the chat. The question was from Clinton Desvaux. What tyres will be used in Vegas? Full wets or softs? Very, very cold surface temperature. How problematic will traction and braking be on a cold track surface? None of us know a thing, Clinton. We don't know a thing. And if we don't know a thing, do you know what's even mad? People at F1 know a thing. They haven't got a clue. Our good friend Elizabeth Blackstock, who was at the Austin show, you can see that on YouTube now. Um, thank you for coming down. Very wise. I think she just did an interview with Lucky Sons as well. Go check that out. Elizabeth says that, yes, it's wild that Formula One didn't realize Las Vegas would be cold, but I'll raise you. Several F1 affiliated folks I talked to still thought Vegas would be Qatar levels of hot. During the U.S. Grand Prix, guys, that means three weeks ago, they had no clue what the weather was going to be tomorrow. What practice? What are we doing here? What are we... I'm not even going to give them that. I'm not even going to... You know what? The ghetto. The absolute ghetto. Guys, this is so typical of Formula One. 
this company has no clue how to... They're so desperate. They're so desperate to penetrate America. They're so desperate to, to be the biggest sporting franchise in America. They want to be as big as the NBA, as big as NFL. They want to be... Bro! The lack of foresight in this race. The locals hate it. I think Elizabeth has another article talking about how locals are hoping that it bombs. They're hoping F1 never returns to Vegas. Do you know how crazy that is? This is a place that was founded by mobsters. The Mafia. There's people saying they want the Mafia back because they hate F1 that much. Do you know how bad it's going to be for you to want Al Capone and them, man? There's bodies in the desert. And they're like, we don't want Stefano Domenicali and his kind here anymore. That is crazy. This sport really, really missed the mark with this race. Their lack of interest in it. The lack of, look, the lack of ticket sales. It's a grand for the cheapest ticket to go. It's, you know, they're not selling out. I don't know what, what they thought would buy these high roller suites for 500 grand where you get like a ticket and a prawn cocktail and, you know, they think magically that someone's going to cough up the money for that in what is the biggest death by thousand cuts recession this economy has ever seen, that they really thought someone on this season of F1, let alone any other season, this dry-ass Boxing Day grandma's turkey sandwich of a season would spend half a million on some kind of suite in the Caesars or MGM Grand or some shit to watch this bullshit. We don't even know what tyres they're going to be able to use. Everything about how they've marketed it is wrong. And it's, it goes back to another point Elizabeth was making about how... I don't know, man. Just F1's just not able to market its shit correctly. I don't feel like they're really marketing. I feel like the products they think they have is greatly at odds with the product that they actually have. And I think the proof is in some of the pudding that we've seen for the marketing for this race. The mad thing about Vegas, I'll be really, I'll be really honest with you. The mad thing about Vegas is that it's too expensive, bro. Like, it's too expensive. And I don't know how much warning F1 needs for the fact that this, the road that they're going down with this sport, this shit is Bernie Eccleston light. This is like the choice between the Conservatives and the Labour Party, Democrats and the Republicans. Like, what really am I voting for here? Because I'm getting fucked either way. And not nicely. Not nicely. Like, you've done everything you can do to get younger people on board. But you bring this new race on, you get these stupid, 
the ass Elvis jackets. I'll never stop ripping the Elvis jackets. The only people happy about the Elvis jackets are people who are 50 plus and or divorced. I'm just saying, respectfully, no one's excited about an Elvis jacket. And it's not even an Elvis, it's a knockoff Elvis jacket. Why would I want that? I don't want to look that bad. But you're using that to advertise a whole ass Grand Prix. On top of that, the cheapest ticket is a grand. Guys, I can't. I can't. Like, a grand for a day ticket is bad. Right? That's not accessible. They've cut off the whole fucking strip. Locals can't go. I think they had, what, 500 tickets for locals or some shit? That's not enough. This is supposed to be the jewel in the crown of F1. This is supposed to be the new Monaco. It's the most hotly anticipated Grand Prix of the year. No one gives a fuck about this Grand Prix. And look. If the season was going a little differently, maybe there'd be more anticipation for this Grand Prix, right? Maybe people would be more excited. I've seen someone else here. Uh, G Morgan, Dami Willis, Vegas with an un, uh, with a reef surface, unknown track, cold temperatures, likely down for low downforce preference. Who's going to bid it first? Or oh, is half the grid getting the DNF as a result? Uh, and obviously, uh, Ala Lederland. Hello, thank you for coming to all of our live shows. Appreciate you. Um, it says, how do I feel about Vegas Grand Prix? I don't think anyone genuinely cares about this Grand Prix. Real talk. Other than like a kind of schadenfreude, like, let's just see how fucked up this is going to be. Do you, know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're looking at something purely to see how bad it's gonna be uh and i don't know not for me not for me i don't wanna i don't think that's a good thing i don't think it's a good thing that we as a sport are looking forward to something because we think it's gonna be bad not because we trust in we trust in what the product's gonna be and it's, it's typical F1. Like, how do I describe this? They're constantly pissing on our shoes and telling us it's raining. Like, all the time. We get fleeced at every fucking turn in this war, right? For example, you go to a race, you spend through the fucking nose for a ticket, you spend through the nose for food, you get there, merch is expensive, drinks are expensive, your hotel is expensive, your flights are expensive. People used to go with their whole families, kids, Silverstone, how many people used to go, whole families, they can't do that anymore. You're in a cost of living crisis. People can't afford to take their family to the Grand Prix because it's just such a great expense. But when you get there, what real element of luxury is there? Even in the expensive shit. 
What real element of luxury is it? You've got plastic seats. The racing's pretty shit. The food's shit. The drinks are fucking warm slash expensive. What am I actually paying for here? Where is the luxury products I'm supposed to be paying for? Because I can't see it anywhere. I'm sorry. So then you're talking to me about Vegas. Bruv, let me get Ed's tweet. Big up Ed Spencer, who was here on the podcast the other day, obliterating, uh, what are they called? Lucky Sons. Um, he quote retweeted uh, someone else's tweet about the Vegas Media Center. Okay, so imagine it. You're in Vegas. Glitz and glamour. Okay? The Bellagio. MGM Grand. Demaness. Caesar's Palace. Some of the finest hotels and resorts you could ever imagine staying in. You man seen the hangover when they upgrade the room and that. Madness. Ocean's Eleven. You see when they robbed that thing. Gorgeous place. See where they put the media now. Get it up on screen. This shit is embarrassing. This shit is embarrassing. And you know what it is? Hey, what's that mean where it's like, it's a mirage. It's a false image. Wallahi, it's a false image, bro. F1 is a false image. You look at the front, it looks gorgeous. Oh my God, glitz and glamour. They think about the 80s and 70s and 60s. James Hunt and them man. Fucking. You go into the 80s, you go into the 90s, Senna and them man. Senna was on TV, lips in television presenters. He was famous worldwide. F1 as a brand, look at Monaco. Oh my God, how fucking classy is this sport? But then you, you look underneath it, you look behind it, you look behind the facades, and it's bullshit, bro. What are we doing here? So yeah, I'm not going to Vegas until I see what Vegas is saying from the comfort of my own home. And we'll see. It could be the greatest race of all time. You've got such a long straight that someone could have DRS and overtake, but then someone could get back in their slipstream. But who knows? Like that straight is so long. The temperatures are so cold. So the hard tire is probably going to be out of use. I don't know how many stops it's going to have to be. That could be fun. I'm not a technical person, bro. I just want racing. To provide a good race, fine. It's not worth the money they're charging. They're, I'm sorry. Even the people who have the money. You saw how it went with Miami this year. I think Miami struggled to sell tickets this year. And, you know, it was a choice between Miami or Vegas, basically. Like, you know, people who go to Austin are going to go to Austin. And Austin didn't sell out. Then they dropped attendance from, from last year. 
I could tell that Austin was not sold out from being there. And the same situation that I saw in Austin. Um, and I worried for Miami. I did. I did worry for Miami. But Elizabeth made a great point on the um, on the live show in that someone, I don't know if someone said to her or if this is something that she opined herself. But she said that um, it's almost as if it's like you go to America, but there's nothing really about where you're going that is like American, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost as if they're selling the tourist idea of America or Texas to you, but I'm not going to lie There's so much that Having now been to an F1 race You realise when you haven't been to an F1 race Things that you assumed would happen But don't happen For example I could have been in anywhere in the world At Austin I would not have had a fucking clue There was not one place I could get barbecued in the whole fucking venue. And believe me, I looked. And look, if it was there, it was poorly advertised. But I went... Look, there was one day, me and Chris walked the freaking trek about 45 minutes, I want to say, walking. That's the equivalent of like... A mile and a half walking uphill to what was the center of the race. And this was like the main area. So it's a gorgeous little place. You've got the food hall, there's loads of merch stands, there's sim racing. I think someone said Austin is like F1 con. So imagine like an F1 convention and you can enjoy elements of F1. Which is cool, I guess, but it's like they could transport that all over the world and it would be the same thing all over the world. But I didn't really get a sense that I was in Austin. There was no barbecue food. There wasn't even like, look, I'm not saying this is all Austin. There was actually a, a rodeo ball kind of thing, but I don't know if it was on or if you could just get on it. It was like a bucky thing. I didn't really get a sense. There's a lot of tacos. I'll give them that. A lot of tacos, of which I enjoyed that. And the one thing I came away from the Austin GP knowing is where the best tacos are in the race. But culture-wise, they do a better job of selling it to you when you are sat at home than when you are there itself. And what I worry about Vegas and what made me not want to get a ticket to Vegas was, am I going to go to Vegas, blag a ticket to get in and just wish I'd stayed outside? Because in all honesty, I can imagine Austin the city is more interesting than Austin the Grand Prix. And that shouldn't be the case for me. So I think F1 has a way to go 
in terms of fan experience, because I think a lot of people will probably like spend their life saving up for an F1 race and, and seeing the job. And look, to be fair, you know, as much as we want to shit on Sky, shit on F1 TV, whatever, they do do a good job of making you feel as if you are in that country, right? And I think they do a better job, and it's easier for them to do that, maybe, than F1 themselves. And I just think, for the money that you pay for it, and what you get, Vegas to be that much for the casual fan, or even the hardcore fan, I'd be so interested to see if there's even any fucking screens where people are sitting. That was the thing. The screens don't even have the timings to three decimal places. So when, so when you're at Austin, you, you, my radio halfway through started playing me gospel music instead of the commentary for the race. No fucking joke. So I'm there listening to like my, you know, um, some incredible gospel music. I'm trying to see the fucking qualifying. There's three cars separated by less than a tenth of a second. I don't know how much that is because it only goes to one decimal place on the screen that I can see. I have no commentary because I can't see. I've got no signal on my phone because I'm abroad. It's a mess. This is all to say. I really hope Austin, big up everyone going to Austin. I really hope you have a great time. I'm sorry we're not there. We might be there next year. But I need to see it from the comfort of my own home first before I commit to something like that. And we'll see. And we will see. We'll see. We'll see. Who knows? Um, right. Next question, guys. Thank you for your questions. Make sure as well, if you're listening to this one, make sure to like and subscribe to this video. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on Spotify, five-star review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a review and uh, a rating. And of course, there's an ad-free stream on Patreon. Uh, right, next question. So, uh, Stephanie uh, at Fast Pit Stop said, I would like to know what your favourite and least favourite races were this season and why. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. Um, it's a really good question, actually, because I had to think about this. And I must say, the season has picked up a little bit since um, the summer break. There have been some good races. I think Sandfort was quite fun, all things considered, you know, with the rain and the tyres and, and everything. I think, you know what... <laughs> My favourite race of the season, I'm not going to lie to you, I, for drama result, I'm not going to lie, 
I do think that Singapore provided the most weekend-long entertainment from start to finish, because obviously you had the fact that Red Bull had, you know, just did not have the car. So it was fun seeing Max struggle. You had, obviously, you know, Ferrari and Carlos Sainz and, you know, everything that happened with him. Obviously, George Russell, oh my God, George Russell binning it um, on the last lap, I think. Um, and obviously, like, just that whole thing. It was start to finish, probably the race that I've enjoyed the most. Um, I mean, Austin was quite fun. In all honesty, it's crazy. I didn't watch Hungary. The I didn't watch the race live, and I didn't. Uh, oh yeah, I didn't watch the race live because I was driving back from a wedding, and I was literally at a wedding when Lewis got pole. And ah uh, man, it was just one of those things where um. It's one of those things where even in like, I feel like I miss whenever I don't watch something fun happens. So, for example, I didn't watch, what was the last race? So obviously, watch Brazil together. Qatar. No, what was after? Mexico. Mexico. I didn't watch Mexico. And I watched it afterwards, and obviously Lewis got second, I want to say, or third. Uh, I think it was second. Um, and that was like a cool race, enjoyable race. I think Silverstone was quite fun, if I remember correctly, but I can't remember, like, really, but I think Lewis got a podium. So I think, look, if I'm going to be honest, like, my favourite race that I've watched was probably Singapore, purely because of the entertainment and, you know, it's always fun when George, when George is George, it's fun. Like, you know what I mean? And I think, and I just think for him to do that on the last lap. And you know what? I said this about Verstappen. Um, I think at the beginning of this season or the end of last season. But I said F1 needs Max, because you need a villain or an anti-hero, however you kind of view Max. You need that because you need stories, you need rivalries, you need something to get the juices flowing. And if it wasn't for George versus Lewis in the Mercedes this year, and I say George versus Lewis in the loosest sense because Lewis has obviously performed a lot better than George this season, but if it wasn't for that underlying storyline, that's really provided a lot of the entertainment this year for Lewis fans. And a lot of the metal that you kind of need. Let's look at the viewing numbers of F1 channels in that period where George and Lewis were quite close, but George would mess up or George just didn't, you know, you know George was on the radio complaining Suzuka if we remember the Ray J messages there 
it's just one of those things where we kind of need someone like that. And what I didn't realize, when we did the live show, and the way people hate George was like scary. Wowzers. I asked the crowd, do you hate George more or do you hate Max more? And it was overwhelmingly George. There was one point when George came on the radio and the booze that emanated from that pub were so profound. They must have wondered what the hell is going on. Downstairs in that, in that pub, they must have wondered, like, what the hell is going on down there? They really booed George. And I think that animosity between Lewis fans and George fans, the same way there's animosity between, uh, like, the two Ferrari driver fans, I just think that makes for great entertainment for people like me who have to make stories out of this season. And I think a big reason why, I think if Vegas, you know, going back to Vegas, I think if Vegas happened in March, first race of the season, I think the anticipation for it would be so much more than having it at the end of this dry ass season. I think everyone's tapped out, bro. And Everyone just wants this season to be done. I don't think anyone's really fighting for anything worthy of, like, shouting about at the moment. So I just think, yeah, I think everyone's just ready to, to end. So, look, going back to what I was saying before, storylines and everything, um, George, yeah, George, George just being George, creating that kind of drama in the races after the summer break. Really, for me, that's what has saved the back. And Lewis kind of stomping on that. And just asserting his kind of dominance, especially on race pace. I think in qualifying, they'll always be quite close. Um, but in race pace, I think Lewis has had the measure of George. You know, and you could tell by the standings. Um, pretty pretty easily. And um, but that entertainment has been probably the highlight for me. My least favorite race. There's so many. There's so many. I don't really have a least favorite race. I just think. You know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I remember saying at the beginning of the season. I think Bahrain was quite dry. And I remember saying at the beginning of the season. If this race. Which is what my. It's in my top. Five races. My top five races are in no specific order: Bahrain, Sao Paulo, Silverstone, I really uh, people don't like it. I like Saudi Arabia, but I get why people don't like Saudi Arabia. But I love it as a track and as a race, just for entertainment purposes. I'm trying to think. There's other good circuits that I am struggling. Let's get the let's get the calendar up because people are gonna uh, question my wheel knowledge, and my wheel knowledge is impeccable. <laughs> okay, impeccable. 
F1 calendar 2023. Here we go, right. Uh, oh, Cota. Great Grand Prix. One of my favorite tracks. Um, hey, guys, at some point, we might have to say Zan for his update. You know? I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to look. I'm just saying. I am just saying that, yeah, if I'm, yeah, I think in my top five, I'm going to say Bahrain, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, whether you like it or not, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, Sao Paulo, Silverstone, and Cota. Great races. But what disappointed me the most was Bahrain not being a banger. And if you start the season off like that, do you know what I mean? You're kind of like, fuck, if this is the beginning of the season, we're not in for a great time. And I think that that's just been the biggest disappointment, to be honest. I think Baku was a bit of a bore as well. There's been a few like races where we're like expecting entertainment, but we didn't get entertainment normally because the season's been so dry. And I just think, yeah, hopefully next season that changes. But we'll see. We'll see. But thank you for that question. I keep putting stuff onto a different screen. Right. Next question. Uh, oh, actually, leading into that, Silky asked, or Silka asked, uh, let me get this up. Looking back at the season, what surprised you the most? I'm not going to lie, yeah? Let me tell you right now. I'm going to be real honest. And as Mercedes fans, we need to... As Mercedes fans, we need to be very honest with how we viewed this. But... When they announced James Vowles to go Williams, I'm not going to lie to you, yeah? I did not think that was going to go well. Yes, remember, we, as Mercedes fans as well, we'd spent most of 2021 and 22 basically blaming any strategical error that happened on James Vowles, right? He was the full guy for any strategical ridiculousness that was happening in Mercedes, of which there was a fair amount. Now, word on the road is, he kind of moved back from that position anyway. During 2022 or before 2022. So we were even blaming one person at the time. But every time I see James Fowles on my TV screen, I've never seen someone... I've not been that impressed by a team principal since... Am I going to say this? Probably since I first saw Christian Horner, I guess. And look, I could have said Toto, but I think with Toto, I think there's always like this kind of structure in place, which he kind of not inherited, but, you know, a lot of Mercedes was kind of there. And yes, he was young, but I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I was always more impressed with Nikki. I always wanted to hear what Nikki wanted to say. Whereas with Christian Horner, honestly, before Red Bull became the pantomime villains of the paddock, you have to remember, like, Red Bull were the, the underdogs. They were the plucky underdogs who, you know what, until Drive to Survive, I really respected Red Bull and Christian Horner. And then they kind of saw an opportunity with Drive to Survive to kind of position themselves as, again, these anti-heroes to Mercedes. And I think they did a great job of that. And I think Christian did a great job of that. And whatever you want to say about him, he has maneuvered himself to be probably the most front and foremost and most powerful team principal on the, in the paddock, whether we like it or not. Whether we agree with it or not, that's fact. But when he, you have to remember, he was like the youngest team principal on the grid when he started. And he always, you know, they were go-getters. And, you know, they, out of nowhere, were this drinks company who started winning championships out of nowhere. Incredible. And I always liked what he had to say on TV. I'm not saying James Vowles is there. But this guy speaks with the clarity with, uh, with the clarity, that's incredible. He speaks with real emotional intelligence. You can see that he is extracting the most out of the absolute shit show he inherited. Let's keep it a buck. Williams was an absolute shit show. A few years ago, they weren't even getting cars ready for testing. Embarrassment. You look at their fucking floor compared to everyone else. Embarrassing. James Wells is pleading poverty, saying we need to upgrade our facilities because we are years behind everyone else. A team that had been sorely lacking in investment. And he's gone in there and he's extracted the most out of everything. And for me, I don't think we get what we're getting from Alex Albon this season without James Wells. We saw flashes of it last season for sure. You look at what Alex Albon is doing, and James has really created an environment where he is a team leader, he's appreciated, he's being allowed to grow within that team. Like I said before, if the biggest surprise, James Vowles Williams, because the results that they're pulling out time after time after time, given the money that they have, is nothing short of miraculous. And I think it needs to be appreciated more compared to some of the budgets other teams have, compared to some of the technical um, help and capacity other teams have. Haas basically buy Ferrari cars. Alpha Tauri are Red Bull's sister team. Williams are outperforming both of them. Essentially. Well, they were until, you know, until recently. With a, with a less budget and less facilities. Uh, Alpha Romeo as well. Like this, it's an incredible job that James Fowles is doing. And I think it needs, I think it needs to be appreciated. I think he needs his props, especially from the Mercedes fans that disrespected him, to be honest. Because look at it, it's still a shit show. Still a shit show over there. He's left. Still a shit show. So um, maybe he wasn't a problem. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, no, that's, uh, that was a good question, Sylvie. Thank you. Um, the next question is from Becca. And this is going to be the last question, I think. Um, 
We're almost halfway through the period with this set of regulations. How much do you think the gaps between uh, teams, top midfield and back markers, will close up by mid-25 as the regs draw to a close? Ugh. Look, everyone knows. Everyone knows, okay, that if... Uh, if Red Bull weren't in the equation with these regulations, um, we would be in a situation where this would be a classic season. Like the, the F, was it, 1.5 or whatever season, you know, with Lewis and Fernando and Ferrari's resurgent and McLaren resurgent. Like, we've got some incredible racing from second backwards. It's, it's literally Max and Red Bull. So, I don't know, man. I think the field will converge, but not enough to, to stop Red Bull. And, um, and I think, yeah, I just think, <sighs> we've got to hold that, man. We've got to hold that. I know people want to talk. I get it. Red Bull cheated. I get it. You know, the rule change is obviously going to affect them. But the gap should not be this big, guys. The whole grid has dropped the ball. I'm sorry. And... Sort the fucking cars out. Should the FIA step in? I don't think they know what is on that car that makes it so much faster than everyone else. Nothing that they've tried so far, nothing that's happened so far to change regulations has, has changed their car. I think if they knew what made it so much faster than everyone else, they would fucking, they would do a regulation change. Or maybe they just want Max Verstappen to go on and have this period of dominance. They want to liken it to, well, I think Max tried to liken it to Jordan and the Bulls. <sighs> It's not that, because Max doesn't want to, rightly or wrongly, engage in any way with the kind of soft factors of F1. And whether fans like it or not, Max fans, that stuff is important in keeping the casual fan. If you have someone who, whilst they are dominating, are... You can gravitate towards them. Go and watch The Last Dance. Possibly the greatest sports documentary of all time. I would highly recommend it to anyone. Over the course, like, between now and the start of next season, go and watch The Last Dance on Netflix. Incredible footage. And you will see how the dominance of the Bulls, because they had characters like Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, fucking uh, Dennis fucking Rodman, captivated the world and the NBA were able to use that to market basketball in America. F1 are unable to use Max to market F1 because he doesn't want to do that and that's fine but that's why people are saying it's boring this dominance because we've not got someone who whilst they're dominating, dominating is doing more than just winning races. They don't even sound excited at the end. 
that didn't even sound like, do you know what I mean? And again, Max fans, I know you love to tussle. You, you roll around the internet. Someone. It's okay. I get it. Your guy doesn't need to do that. However, that's why it's not comparable to the Bulls. And it's fine. But don't disrespect the 90s Chicago Bulls. Possibly the greatest franchise of all time. Possibly. In terms of global scope of influence on culture. Not just a sport. On culture, period. You can't con compare Max Verstappen and Red Bull to that, um, unfortunately. And just to be very clear, you can't compare Lewis Hamilton in Mercedes to that either. It's, there's a reason why Lewis reveres Michael Jordan. There's a reason why Michael Jordan has the Air Jordan brand, okay? Go and look it up. Go and watch The Last Dance. Not comparable. So, yeah, I think next season we'll see more of the same. What are we in, 2024? By 2025... It'll be close, but no one's going to catch Red Bull. We've got... 20, what days is it this year? 20, yeah, we've got two more years of this shit. And then we'll see with the engines. And you've got to pray Red Bull have fucked the engines. Oh, my God. Jesus, Lord. If you're listening, I pray Red Bull fucks these engines for the new regulations in 2026. Because if they haven't, Lord of mercy, we're fucked. We're fucked. And Max is going to do mad numbers. Mad, mad numbers. And we're just going to have to hold that. And we're going to have to hold it. Full stop watching. And I know a lot of people are going to choose the latter. So yeah, anyway, guys, thank you. We're nearly on like 100, I don't know what number this is. If it's 98, 99. Well, obviously, we've done more than 100 episodes. Um, I think the 100th episode might be post-Vegas. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. I'm sure we'll do some kind of reflecting episode, but it's just, it's a privilege to be able to be in front of this microphone and to talk to you guys. It's a privilege to meet you guys, whether it's at live shows, or whether it's just like um, at, you know, the race or um, when I go out. It's crazy being recognised when I go out. That's just fucking mad. Um, it's just an honour. It's an absolute honour. And, you know, I can't wait for this season to be done, mostly because there's so much that we want to do to improve the product again next year. There's so many updates I want to make. Um, I feel like I'm almost at the point of, like, tearing it all up and kind of starting again, which is kind of exciting, but... Hopefully it turns out good and not like starting again, like no side pods starting again. But we'll always like consult with you guys and make sure that you guys are kind of up to date with shit like that. But yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Just me chatting shit. Not really much to report on. So I guess it was just nice to come in here. And I didn't know how long my laptop would last. And it's lasted. So this is good. This makes me feel happy. Um, guys, we will see you. Um, this weekend with with uh, our programming this weekend um and until then if you've enjoyed the show make sure to give us a like and subscribe uh to the channel five stars on spotify rating on apple podcast and a review and obviously there's the ad free stream on uh, patreon 
And yeah, look after yourselves. Treat each other kindly. Tell the people you love that you love them. And yeah, I don't know. I'm very grateful to have all of you in our Quickstop family. So big up all of you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us, for supporting us in the way that you do. We just came off a triple header. I think we're all fucking knackered. <laughs> and so I'm really glad for the rest. Raring to go for the last part of the season. Let's get it done. And then we'll see you then. So remember, no matter what life those are, you guys, keep it on the black stuff. And I'll see you soon. Goodbye. 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 Where's the fucking... Sorry, I'm not saying goodbye without... Hello! Don't piss me off. Goodbye. <laughs>